I'm too young to die. <laughs> Welcome to ASP Stuff Radio, the internet radio show where we talk about deep, perplexingly abstract philosophical stuff on the ultimate nature of being. What constitutes a being well lived? Whether it is moral to bring a being into the world, and which being produces the least amount of flatulence. Today is Friday, June 25th, 2020. I'm your host, Alborado. Joining me are my moderately developed beings of reality, each composed of interestingly unique combinations of subatomic particles and other larger chunks of material stuff. Steve Ocrates and Pauleto. Beings, welcome. Thank you. Well, thank you. I- I'd like to think I'm a fully developed being, but I'm still partially. You're still partially it. developed. You have several we're all, years. We're all partially stewing beings. A pot of beings being constantly cooked. stirred and, and cooked until you've been consumed and fully digested by the cosmos. <laughs> mm. Together we make up the universe of being. Someone's thinking right now, this is the nerdiest podcast ever. I think we would make the top 10 of nerdiest podcasts in the podcast universe. What's the nerdiest one? I don't know. <laughs> we love being nerdiness. We, who's talking about beings? What do we mean by beings? Yeah, what are we talking Human about? Human beings well, or... Edible beans. Yeah, like or are they the same? Oh, my philosophy class when I introduce the branch of philosophy called metaphysics or ontology. Some students, well, what's ontology? Well, ontology is the study of being: pinto beans, kidney beans, black beans, white beans, and all other kinds of edible legumes. And then they're like, <laughs> ah, no, but it's the study of being. As in they they existence. They, I get a little corny chuckle. Do, do they get it? <laughs> they, they get it? <laughs> yeah, the study of being. Because the word ontos from Greek, osia, meaning being. So the study of being, in particular, the ultimate being, the guy upstairs. Who is All this knowing. guy upstairs? All-knowing being. All-knowing being. Today's discussion is inspired by Stevocrates. He is expected to be a father of a new human being in the near future, and so he thought it might be appropriate to discuss several philosophical issues revolving around the topic of bringing beings into the ever-changing world of ephemeral existence, or the pale blue dots, as the famous cosmologist Carl Sagan describes planet Earth. We will tackle this topic, bringing beings into the world of being and becoming, in three distinct ways. First, I will discuss a philosophical view called antinatalism, which simply states that procreation or bringing new sentient human beings into existence is morally wrong. What? We. <laughs> that's an interesting. I agree. Interesting. Yeah, it could be. Interesting could be. take on being. <clears throat> I didn't realize that was a whole study. I didn't either. Uh, wow. <clears throat> I was living underneath a big being. We will critically evaluate one argument in favor of this view. Second, Steve Ancrates will lead a discussion on what is involved in learning about being human, or more fundamentally, what it means to be human and not an amoeba or a cat. Moreover, are newborns equipped with this type of knowledge from the moment of birth? Do they have any particular human skills, abilities, or knowledge? Or are these traits acquired through experience? by their interactions with parents, friends, religious gurus, teachers, or the vast wasteland known as television and other forms of entertainment. 
Then finally, Pauleto, with his expertise in parenting a young human being for four years, will provide... Almost. 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 Will will provide some insight on what he thinks constitutes good parenting. Parenting a being. In general, what are the necessary and sufficient conditions of being a good parent, if there are any? I don't know. Now... So let's get started. Let me introduce you to the first issue, and that is antinatalism. From Latin, natalis, pertaining to birth or origin, and anti meaning against, antinatalism is the view that started to gain global attention with the well known pessimist South African philosopher David Benatar, who wrote a book strongly advocating antinatalism. Published in 2006, entitled Better Never to Have Been the harm of coming into existence. In it, he writes, quote, While good people go to great lengths to spare their children from suffering, few of them seem to notice that the one and only guaranteed way to prevent all the suffering of their children is not to bring those children into existence in the first place, unquote. Although antinatalism did not have an official name in 5th century classical Greece, one could argue that the ancient Greek playwright Sophocles was in essence an antinatalist as he famously wrote in his third installment of the Theban play trilogy Oedipus at Colonus, quote, Never to have been born is best. Everyone knows that, and a close second, once you have appeared in this life, is a quick return, as soon as you can, to where you came from. In our light-headed youth, we carry blithe ideas, not knowing what blows await, what hardships are bearing down closer and closer, Murder, hatred, strife, resentment, and envy are lurking. And then, behind them, bitter old age. Powerless, friendless, with evils, our only neighbors. Unquote. Sophocles was probably not much fun to hang around with. No, doesn't no. sound <laughs> but, he, but, he, but he does make a compelling case. And this leads us to one of the... He, did, he didn't commit suicide, did he? He did not. Check it. No. Okay. So he's a hypocrite, but... But this leads us to one of many arguments in favor of antinatalism, which, in the form of a question, we can ask, why bring new life into existence and expose that being to so much misfortune, pain, misery, suffering, and ultimately death? As David Benatar says, every birth is a death in waiting. Now, Benatar's argument, he says, and I'm paraphrasing, even though a human being when brought into existence, will experience both happiness and unhappiness, or pain and pleasure, throughout its life, there is, he claims, a substantial asymmetry between the good and the bad. In other words, suffering will greatly outweigh joy and happiness in the long run, for that person in particular, that being, or any being in general, any human being. However, Had that human being not been brought into existence, he or she would not have experienced pain or pleasure, which according to Benatar is better. In other words, non-existence is better than existence. And since it would be preferable to not be than to be, it follows that parents have a moral obligation not to bring new life into the world. So that's the argument. Any clarifications? And then we can criticize the claims. My question is, why does he believe that it's better to not be than it is to be? Okay. What are the reasons for that? All right, so Benatar says, no one will deny that we, as human beings, experience happiness and unhappiness, pleasure, pain, 
variety of good and bad. But overall, there is more misery, suffering, very bad things that incur upon why, why a human being. Why do you being. say that? And he, he, has, he that? cites a variety of statistics. He calls empirical statistics of misfortune, suffering, natural disasters, a whole bunch of horrific evils that occur in the world. Coronavirus. Um, coronavirus, plagues. Donald Dump. Terminal illnesses, diseases, and so on and so forth. He says there's more suffering and destruction than positive, uplifting moments of joy in a single human and the, life. And the ultimate death. Compared to, so that's existence, compared to non-existence. And he says that to not exist means that you are deprived of experiencing pleasure, which isn't bad, but it's good that there is no experience of pain. So when you're not existing, I, you're not experiencing pain, nor are you experiencing pleasure, but that's not bad. So it's better to not exist than to exist, despite experiencing both pleasure and pain, the evil or bad far outweighs the good. So this, this is assuming you know this if you're not a being. And if you're not in existence, you're not a being, right? See, so how can you know you're missing out on pleasure or displeasure? What is this? That, that for me is the one of the most damaging, more damaging objections. So, I, well, before we get there, let me try to think of, of an example where you could sink our teeth in. <laughs> Suppose, you know, Steve Ocrates and your beloved being would like to bring new life into existence, but let's suppose there's a super duper computer that knows the outcome of this new being's life. What will happen? Let's suppose a super duper computer or scientist says, Steve Ocrates, your newborn or your being will die at this particular age from a horrific tragedy. Lightning will smash this being into smithereens. If you knew that will happen, would you still bring that being into life? How well, and and, and Benatar, be Benatar would say, and I'm putting it lightly, he gives more extreme yeah. examples. But <laughs> Benatar would say it would be immoral if you were to go ahead and bring that that new human being into existence, knowing what you know well, about the would it be depend to me? I think it's a loaded question because I like is it gonna be right away as soon as this being is born, or do they have 90 years to experience? Experiences. But that's, and let's take it to the real life example. Suppose by genetics, you're told by the doctor that, oh, your baby's going to be genetically deformed. She or he's going to develop a brain tumor and die within three months. Would you go ahead and bring that being into existence? That's a, see, so that's subjective to everybody. Me personally, no, I wouldn't. Okay, so now subject. that's a particular case, a localized version of antinatalism, but the global antinatalist is saying, well, why don't you take it to a more abstract general realm and consider that suffering is going to befall all human beings and it's going to far outweigh any joys and pleasures in life, and so therefore, why well, we already know that. Everybody's going to die. Right, and then he said that death is the ultimate major suffering. It, it's, it's it's like the question of is it better to have loved and lost than to mm -hmm. have never loved at all? Those are the experiences that happen in that time where you are existing or you are in love. Are those worth the ultimate losing part? That's that's the question. Uh, uh, yeah, and think about like the most exciting experiences or joys you've ever had. Taking a dump. 
Those are enjoyable. Some are a full meal. Yeah. You know, that's that's a good release. But I no, I mean, you know, say you have a avid hiker and he's made it to the top of Mount Everest. And then he, he falls. Yes. Yeah, so okay. And then he's thinking, okay. yes, but at least I climbed on the top. Yes. I, ask him and he will he will tell you it doesn't matter. I've made it to the top of the world. Skydiving. You're up there exhilarating. Whoosh. Oh, parachute failure. If you, <laughs> I think I would be like, holy shit, why did I do this? I'm not going to be able to eat my favorite bean dip. But at least you did have some good bean dips in the past. Yeah. <laughs> okay. At least you had those bean dips right. before. At least you were able to experience bean and bean dip. <laughs> so it's you become bean I, dip. I, don't, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it just depends on what the experiences are and the situation. Some people, it probably would be better not to have existed at all. Others, it probably is worth it. Because there are people that are really, really suffering. I mean, there, and, and this is subjective too. You could say, oh, somebody who is born a paraplegic or something like that. Are, are they suffering or are they able to get certain levels of uh, being content or happiness? And they might lead more happier, meaningful lives than, say, someone who's not they disabled. Might, right. So, it, yeah. and it's hard to say. It's hard to measure something like that. Even enduring a suffering, there's actually, in a weird way, some pleasure in that, knowing that you are going through it and and persevering so philosophers would say that's pain instrumentally pain is good it's a, it's there as a means to a positive end so i think the general critique would be that even if life contains more bad things than good things pain versus pleasure it is only because of the bad or painful experiences that Ooh. we can recognize understand and appreciate the good pleasant or joyful experiences in life. So you cannot have one experience without the other. Without sickness, there is no health. We couldn't even make the proper distinction between the two. Without struggle, there can be no meaningful accomplishment. Without morally wicked beings, there could not exist saintly beings like St. Teresa. So there's dynamic opposites, one that without the other, it wouldn't you make much sense. Yeah, you can't experience your highs without first having experienced some lows or right. being down. And out. Um, and I think we did talk about that, like uh, arguments for eternal heaven, eternal bliss versus eternal damnation or something like that. You yeah. need to experience one to experience the other. Now, one not could, a linear relationship. Uh, one could reply and say, "Well, why not just live in a world? In theory, ideally, a, a world without any bad would be much better. Couldn't we just experience eternal pleasure and joy and just not have those bad moments or those?" painful experiences isn't it possible logically or maybe not logically but why can't we just have pleasure good <laughs> well okay like. let's let's <laughs> simplify it say you really enjoy eating donuts so let's just you just eat all the donuts you can and you have that sugary high all the time every meal burning in my chest donuts once you eventually get tired of that sugariness and monotony of, of sugar highs <laughs> Too much good. I probably end up, Too, yeah. Couldn't we just live in that world where we were just capable of just experiencing the endless joyful bliss of donut indulging? 
<laughs> I, I mean, imagine if you had the same. I guess you could have varieties of donuts, but that's all you could eat all the time. What you wouldn't get tired of that? Probably. Probably yeah, one probably. day. Probably, unless there was ten an, years later. Unless there was an infinite supply of a variety of donuts that I'd want to always experience. Try all the different you types. Won't. That. Plus, you won't know what bad is or what good is without the bad. Just like if you don't exist, you would never know what you're missing out on. So, right, you need both in order to really and, experience. And I think that's know what you're that's the problem with Benatar's argument is that he assumes that it's plausible or to even say that non-existence is preferable. How how is it even humanly possible to experience non-existence? Where you could say, yes, that would be the most preferable option where I will be deprived of pleasure and pain. One thing I also like to point out is as a species, in order to continue as a species, we must procreate. And eventually, if, if we all of us had that mentality, then eventually our species would end. Okay, so maybe yeah, that's, that's the main point of bringing new human <laughs> beings into the world. So the counter-argument would be there's this compelling biological drive that overrides this uh, antinatalist view. The procreation, that's, the survival, the, the pro- promoting the, the survival of our human species. Now there's one, another argument, there's many arguments for antinatalism, but the other one, which I thought was interesting is called the impossibility of consent and it states that procreation is morally wrong because of the impossibility of obtaining consent from the human being who will be brought into existence and in light of the fact that the being will suffer from a variety of serious harms that could have been prevented. So it's immoral because you can't obtain the consent of the human being who will be brought into existence. Yes, but uh, uh, maybe, and how are you going to get that consent? You you won't until... (laughs) You're being into being. So, have a contract ready to go. Yeah. 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 As soon as the baby's born. By the way, can you can sign you this sign contract here? real quick? Trick them into signing the contract as they fully develop as a Don't cognitive read being. Read the fine print. Just no. Can you sign <laughs> this piece of paper? There will be suffering and death, but hurry up and sign here. Moving on. Now, under the assumption that it is moral to bring new human beings into existence, we're now interested in what is involved in learning about being human. Or another way to phrase a question, what makes a life uniquely a human life? This question compels us to articulate the features that make beings like us human. What is it that sets us, the kind of beings that we are, apart from non-human beings such as amoebas, spiders, cats, dolphins, and woolly mammoths? So, Steve Ocrates, this was your area of concern. So, yes, I'll be a new father, parent soon, uh, in about a month. So right now I have time to ponder these things. I think once uh, the being is born, uh, it will be chaos, sheer chaos. But right now uh, I'm able to ponder from the first moment that my being, my baby being, will be born, thrust into this new world, whether we consented with him or not, he is now in this world in, in about a month here. Now, he doesn't know he's a human being. He doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know what this world is all about. Right now, he's confined to the confines of my wife's tummy and doesn't know what's out there. So he must learn everything. He has some programming, basic programming. I mean, that's kind of 
crude, but yeah, he, he has some temperament. But from there, he'll uh, learn from his his parents, his most prominent close beings that will help teach him, learn him things. Even things as simple as learning how to breathe. He doesn't even know how to breathe yet. So he has to learn some things like he, he has some physical characteristics that he's born with and he has a temperament that he's born with. So as a parent, you have to, uh, you don't have to be thankful for him being, being into the world. But yeah, how does he know that he's a human? Uh, and maybe that's kind of a question to the floor. How does he learn to know that he's a being? Daddy, what am I? <laughs> well, well, he doesn't know he, that I am. <laughs> well, so, so so he he can't even ex, he can't have he doesn't have language to express that, right? But at some no, point I, he will. At some point, so that's where we we have um, where he becomes aware, where he be, he realizes he has a conscience. Well, let's look at it this way. I it would be similar to asking a question like this, Daddy. What's a basketball player and how do I become one? Or, Daddy, I want to be a stockbroker. What what makes a stockbroker a stockbroker? So you would just quickly identify the unique features or characteristics that make a basketball player a basketball player, a stockbroker well, a stockbroker. It's a little bit more complicated than that because this new being, this new baby doesn't even know to ask that question. He's not even aware that that's a possibility. He's not even aware that he has a physical self, a physical being. But so that takes time. Right. right? And now, for him do you think this cat right next to me knows that it's a cat? Was he ever, Did he ever learn I, that? That's questionable. There's, to a certain extent, the cat knows it's a cat. Is it important? But is it important? That this new being knows that it's a human being. Not right away. Not right <laughs> away at all. Uh, uh, but eventually, this being... Uh, will be aware and a human the human species is from what i believe and i think uh alvarado paleto believe have has evolved from prior species prior and primates right so you have you know from from primates to humans you have a link of of rationalizing of reasoning that some you your example a cat does not have i'm going to assume that because we've evolved for thousands of years, at some point, I think it it wouldn't be fair to say that this small developing being isn't somewhat aware that it's something of a certain kind, that he's thinking thoughts or having feelings, maybe he's somewhat aware, he can think to some degree, he's aware of having freedoms or some psychologists would say that babies develop a very rudimentary sense of right and wrong so there are certain key features or traits that make us human that at some level at some point in time this being will become aware of but is it at that young age i mean you're i guess we're talking about when they're infants if they're aware that they are a human being that that's not going to be the case well take time to realize that I don't think it's so. My question isn't necessary. Oh yes, the baby or or child knows. Okay, I'm a human. I need to go do all these great things. I think to me, it's it's more like what's interesting is as an infant, a human's brain is developing at this rapid pace, and it's learning. It's it's mind brain is like a sponge, and at a certain point, you know, other species, animals, 
their brain doesn't develop to the level that a human's brain will develop. And it can achieve certain things, rationalizing connections with other beings, whether that's human or animal, that animals can't achieve. And there's things like object permanence. At age four months, that a baby will be aware that there's a, when an object leaves, like a, a parent leaves the room, that it might not come back. That is a permanent object. The parent, this is my parent, and, and I yearn for that parent, and so he becomes worried. So there's these, mild, these certain milestones in a baby's brain that trigger it, and you know, other species don't really have this continued development or will develop as th this intellect or rationalization. And I think during one of our past episodes, Alberal mentioned uh, Lilocrates was uh, scared of uh, when Alberal was holding her. Now, previously, she was not, okay, because at a certain point, she gets this awareness, stranger danger, especially if you're not, you don't know who that person is. And it's not, that person's not familiar. But before that, the baby was just, oh, that's a person, doesn't matter who's, who's holding me. So the baby has to develop certain things in their life that make them aware that other species might not necessarily have. So I'm going to say that unless at any age, whatever age you are as a human being, if you do not know that you are capable of learning things about the universe, about yourself, if, if you're not aware that you have certain rational capacities, if you're not aware that you are free in making decisions, if you're not aware that you're a moral human being, if you, if you don't understand that you have certain unique traits that make you human, then you cannot know that you are a human being set apart from other non-human beings. Even like uh, an old, fully developed human being who has not yet thought through what is it that makes you human, then we couldn't say that that person knows that he is human. Uh, they would know. <laughs> they just haven't thought about it. I'm sure a large portion of the population hasn't stopped to think, you know what? I'm a human. I'm not an animal. But they know they're a human and not an animal. From a biological standpoint or scientific yeah. Yeah, whatever is biological or even just the fact that they can stop and think for about something that animals won't think about, wanting to listen to music or watch sports or read a book. Just doing that differentiates them from a human, even though they didn't think about the fact that that's what they're doing. Yeah, and it's it's something I think as, as humans, you, you have this self-awareness that you, you, you become aware and you become conscious and, and, and for me, I think, I think another separate topic, it, it kind of connected to our initial discussion about oh, whether it's morally right. You know, I, I've made the conscious decision to want to bring a being into, into the world because I wanted to be there for his first of everything, I suppose. Because, you know, again, he doesn't even know how to, he can't even, when he's first born, can't even lift his own head. There's, he, everything. Every one of his experiences is foreign to him. So being able to experience that with your baby, with your child, is, is something worth experiencing. Therefore... And I would say, you know, even now, like even before the baby's born, they're, just, they're 
aware of their surrounding a little bit because they can hear voices from the outside or know, you know, their the mother's breathing movements and and their temperament. That's going to impact even the way that they, I think, even how they're, you know, grow up and develop. It, it even starts then. So even as soon as they're born, they know, okay, this is my mother or this is that lower sounding voice that I've been hearing outside that must be someone that's going to be around a lot like they're somewhat aware of that they have that much awareness and I think they know just natural instincts that they're not like uh, an animal that might be around it's, there's a difference between an they, animal they know and not the to cuddle with this they know not to cuddle with this furry little feline creature as opposed to this well more the human furry, no, they do on it they probably do what the furry <laughs> feline creature is not going to give them food or, or change their diaper <laughs> so it's because of those actions that this baby being is going to be more naturally inclined to wanting to cuddle up with yeah, the well, ones that have the same number of fingers and toes or, or limbs as them. Yeah, but they all know that they could get some type of comfort from an animal being. But there's also that rare psychology study of the wolf child. The wolf child. <laughs> the feral Marine. child. A feral child is a human child who has lived isolated from human contact from a very young age and so has had little or no experience of human care, behavior, or human language. There are several confirmed cases and other speculative ones. Feral children may have experienced severe abuse or trauma before being abandoned or running away. They are sometimes the subjects of folklore and legends, typically portrayed as having been raised by animals. Well, those are rare cases, but I guess they do happen. But I'm yeah, sure they're raised feral. in the Jungle Book. If they're <laughs> raised by animals, I'm sure they'll come to think that they are like animals. Right, and there's documented cases, apparently, of feral children raised by primates, monkeys. Well, aren't we primates? Uh, wolves, dogs, bears, sheep, cattle, goats, ostriches. <laughs> uh, raised by pumas, sheep. Interesting. Sheep. <laughs> well, so, so that goes to show you that a human baby... Uh, well, any any species baby has a tremendous capacity for s survival, and that you know there's no such thing as just oh there's just a dumb baby. You know they know in and of themselves when they're born that here here's what I need to survive, and here's what I need, and, and let me absorb all the knowledge I need to to eventually be able to survive. Sheep baby. <laughs> bah. So we'll conclude with a discussion concerning the foundations of good parenthood. What, in other words, constitutes a good parent while raising a new being in the world? What are the parental rights and responsibilities of raising children? What must parents provide for their children? Are there limits in making this determination? So, Pauleto, I thought since you are more experienced in this area you might want to host or lead this discussion <laughs> so i guess I think, the, um, yeah. the general oh. question we could ask is what what are some necessary sufficient conditions that would qualify or constitute a good parent i think number one is realizing that you're never gonna stop learning what what you need to do 
so that that's number one like i know even what i say now three years from now even listening to three years ago that podcast that we did there's new things that you're thinking okay it's gonna change so you have to realize that you're gonna continue to learn new things or or be flexible you're gonna have to be able to adapt and adjust to that child so you're never gonna if you if you feel like okay i know what the way to do this i don't need to change this method going forward or what how i react to things or how i handle things you're constantly gonna have to adapt and react to the way that child is developing because you come to realize that you don't have complete control over how that child develops what their interests are what they end up wanting to do it's largely dependent on what they find that they want to do and so you have to adapt to that okay so you would say not completely in control of how they develop so adaptability would be a, a necessary condition would you say that if you don't have adaptability then you wouldn't be a good parent would you say that's necessary? You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. It's going to be a, a lot more challenging if you're not able to adapt to the way that the child is developing. Now, adapting in a sense, say, I'm going to be extreme here. Daddy, what's this weird drink with a skull on it? I'm going to drink it. Are you supposed to say, okay, and adapt in the way where you just allow the child to do whatever it wants? Adaptability? No, or? that's kind of where adapting comes in because... For one thing, you might have thought, well, they have pretty good judgment. If there's something that seems like a good idea, okay, let them do that. But in your example of whatever is in that skull drink, that's the situation where, okay, I need to jump in and say, no, don't do that. So I was going to mention you have to have a good balance of paranoia and, you know, allowing for freedom of choice. Not overly cautious and and wanting to i don't know if you call it helicoptering but not like holding their hand for every single situation balance that against giving them that freedom to make their own choices and, and do something that they want to do so me trying to understand what might be a good parent what i what i see is there's i guess three different philosophies and i think you're making good points that kind of talk to you know, because I'm reading up whether that helps or not. But I guess there are philosophies. So there's the first philosophy is, is authoritarian, which from what I'm hearing you say, Paulito, is do as I say, and it's very rigid and it's not being adaptable. And, Eat and that's your Brussels sprouts, young man. There you go. Because I said so. And, you know, all right. The other one, I, which I think is the more popular one, and that one that works, I think, which is the challenge that you're trying to, uh, overcome is uh, democratic is what, I guess how they put it is, is it's more of okay this is what I believe but I see what you're thinking or what is your point or what are you trying to get at I suppose it, it's more of a collaboration with your your child I guess and then the the extreme the third is where you just let your child run amok and every little thing your child is is doing is right and you have to kind of cater to every you know, worry that that child has or needs or well, those those are good classifications, but it it's almost 
like you you start to see where each of those actually might need to come into play. You actually do need to mix in all three at different points in time, Good. depending on what's that going on. That could be the Palato approach, where you have a combination of those three, so the fourth would be a mix of all three. You, all of the you, above. You, you use yeah, them you, you, according yes. to a certain situation that calls for it. Yeah, and I think that was... You know that's that's part of it, right? Because you don't you don't yeah. want to subscribe to one rigid parenting style and not no. be flexible to well well let's put it yes exactly so I agree with you guys I think say you know your your kid is is about to cross the street and they didn't look both ways right that's where you have I'm to gonna let their, my kid their, be free and decide for himself let's know, see what and, little and, Tommy decides so as that, he that's the extreme and that's where. You know, some parents will, might take that extreme. So wouldn't that fall underneath adaptability? Again, yeah, it goes back to yeah. being adaptable, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you do have to find the right approach to t- depending on what the circumstances. And I think, you know, you're going you're gonna to realize that you're going to do things that you're not happy with how you handle the situation. So, again, adapting, but... I think in order to adapt, that requires a lot of patience. So adaptability and then patience. Because you you have to be able to understand that you're not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up. They're going to mess up. So being patient and dealing with that failure helps get through situations because you're not always going to come to the right conclusion there's going to be situations where you you messed up or they messed up and it didn't turn out great so don't get too hard on yourself for a situation but at the same time realize where you may have made a mistake and could do better later on because it's you can't really put it on the child to a certain extent because they're gonna mess up due to inexperience in life and not having all that knowledge about how the world works where you should, if you have a good foundational knowledge and experience, you should be able to understand, okay, I messed up. Let me just take a step back and realize, okay, I can do something different next time. So having patience with yourself and patience with a child, I think, is important. Yeah, and I think you you also want Lilocrates to learn for herself, too. She has to go through certain things before she knows what is right or wrong and, and I think that's where you're talking about the patience right being patient with with her yeah it's it's like a a, a mix of being confident in your abilities with a realization of your weaknesses so seeing where you could do better and, and understanding that you're not going to be perfect yeah I think it's maybe if it's a trend and if you keep up a certain like if you're not too adaptable and you keep up a certain mentality with whatever it is you're going to have regrets but if you you try i guess your best to to correct what you're doing and you realize that and you catch it in time i guess it's not like you you did something wrong and that's it 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 can't be rectified or whatever How- no, it's always a learning process i was going to add just one more big thing and I think this helps with, with everything is understanding that it's your responsibility, right? 
Some interesting, no- interesting <laughs> noises in the background as Paleto talks about. It's his responsibility. He needs to go take care of that. Right? <laughs> it's your responsibility. <laughs> to take care you... of your screaming child while I'm podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> multitasker. You multitask. No. There's no such thing as multitask. No. You're, it's your responsibility. You are the one who brought this being into the world so whether or not it was morally correct you are the one who brought this being into the world so it's your responsibility to take care of it nurture it and make you know everyone talked about sacrifices and like oh i'm sacrificing all this for you but you do have to sacrifice a lot of things that you would otherwise be doing or want to do or need to do <laughs> like in podcasting. order to take care of that child and, and fulfill that responsibility for the choice that you made of bringing that being into the world. That That's was number one because you you without that you're you're gonna fail because you don't realize you're not you're not aware that it's on you. You're gonna put it on the child or dismiss it and, and not put the right care and attention into that responsibility yeah it's a good point so that that responsibility that you have to your your child being. your being um you made that choice to bring it into the world so that could actually raise another separate but related question that is what are the necessary components or things that you should provide for your being and paul Pauleta mentioned uh nourishment you could add health shelter shelter education now experiences and I guess that could tie into something interesting I was reading about, and that is, should a parent have any expectations in your kids once they have grown up? Like, what if they decide, I'm not going to subscribe to mommy and daddy's religion, or I'm not going to root for their favorite baseball team, or, you know, I'm I'm not going to send mommy and daddy a Father's Day card or Mother's Day card, or I don't want to go to this Christmas dinner with the family and so on. Should a parent have any expectations as a result of your hard work, your labor and effort? I don't know if that's related or how you would tie that in. But. Yeah, because I, at least up to this point, I look at, you know, Father's and Mother's Day. I don't expect a gift or or anything special for, for that time because it really... It almost should be a celebration of the child being there because that was, you know, you, you're only a father or a mother because you had that child. At the same time, when you do make sacrifices or you do put in that time and, and effort in spending time with that child or developing them, what you hope is that you instill some level of gratitude so that they will acknowledge it and, and do that on their own. If they don't, that's more a reflection of your, you know, parenting and maybe you didn't do it in a way that made them appreciative of that or they weren't aware of it because they felt there was a shortcoming. So you you have to realize that you may have done something that isn't, isn't going to show up later in life where they are coming to every holiday or wanting to follow the same baseball team or whatever it might be there's just certain things that are going to be out of your control but you may have done something to contribute to that and if you did all that you could do that was beneficial in an objective way and they didn't send you a father's day card then you could say you're an ungrateful <laughs> that's <laughs> doing that's probably not gonna help you may want to yeah. have 
it, it may want to encounter that discussion with a different uh, approach. But if 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 you're if you're the a parent that is like that, then that just there's a reflection. You go back. That's a reflection of who you are. You're like, oh, you're ungrateful. Well, that's because you taught your child to be. But like Pauleto said, even if you did the best you could and you're nurturing the child to the, for as long as you could, providing everything you thought was necessary for a happy, meaningful life, even if they decide not to send you a card, that doesn't necessarily indicate that you are a horrible father or parent. That's just a piece. That's a small thing. But it, that's, yeah, that's where I think they didn't mention this, but communication is is a huge thing just like a you know with work co-workers things like that communication is a huge thing if there's some type of disconnect you think something should be a different way finding a way to talk to them about that and and, and get an understanding of why that is that's huge but we know that's a big issue for some reason i don't know what it is and maybe i'll learn we can't talk to our parents that great you know that's that's a well barrier there's a barrier so some one thing real quick i think goes it ties into our other topics but you have to teach your child to be that way from a young age from the beginning if you don't do that early on i mean you're all you're always going to be lilacrity's father for the rest of her her life whether they're 18 or whatever age and you can try to mold her but if you don't mold her early on her chance of changing and adapting to being a better person is could be lost yeah i mean it's that's gonna it's tough i mean you always feel like there's an opportunity that might be missed so but again you don't want to be too hard on yourself but you do need to realize okay if i miss that opportunity next time i'm gonna do it a little differently and hopefully that'll that'll make a difference beautiful little babies 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 little babies All right, with all this talk of beings, I figured we could conclude this episode with a be- with a game called Guess That Bean. And I'm not talking about human beings, I'm talking about beans of the legume family. So here's how this game will work. We each decided on a, part- we chose a particular kind of being, red bean, black bean, pinto bean, kidney bean, White bean, nor- northern beans. What else? What, what other? Don't kind? be racist. Green beans. So you pick your bean, and whether in the form of a poem, riddle, or very short story, each person has to guess that other person's bean of choice. I didn't know we could use a short story, but that, that, that'll work. That'll work. So it has to. It's it's not a human being, right? This is a bean. <laughs> a bean. A bee. I better <laughs> okay. make clear clarify a legume a legume b-e-a-n now we're talking about beans the ones that cause flatulence yeah and toots all right so who would like to go first we'll go in order of uh elderness okay i'm the elder bean so this is a very short story rigoberto spotted the rooster and quickly ran to his mother, begging her to cook his favorite breakfast dish. Me gusto mi frijoles y arroz con leche de coco, said Rigoberto. Cállate tu boca, pendejo, said Rigoberto's mother. Rigoberto picked up an old dictionary from the early 1400s, randomly searching through the pungent pages. Enco, 
which ironically is a Japanese name for a sweet paste made with the same kind of bean that Rigoberto, el pendejo, is about to indulge for breakfast. What bean am I? That's a hard one. You want me to give you the, the, the hint was at the very beginning. Spotted the rooster. Is that Pinto? And Rigoberto. I'm guessing Pinto bean. Pinto. <laughs> spotted bean. A spotted bean. What's a spotted bean? Spotted. So there's this popular Central American dish called gallo pinto, which translates to spotted rooster, and it's made with a particular kind of bean. Red. Red. Red bean. Red, Red bean. bean. Come on, Nicaraguans. Right. You don't remember a spotted rooster? Wait. Mama uh, used to make the gallo pinto. I remember, so I know gallo pinto was made with red beans. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Are those, those are not kidney beans, are they? No, they're small versions maybe, but they're red beans. Oh. They're an undervalued bean. Very underrated. That reminds me. I, I need to go out and get some red beans now and make oh. some gallo pinto. And then anko apparently refers to a Japanese sweet red bean paste. Oh, I've had a bean paste. Japan, yeah, they actually have mochis that have bean paste in them. Yeah, it's a red bean, probably red it's bean. Re it is a red yeah, bean. Yeah, red paste, bean. Yeah. Sweet. It's a sweet dessert yes. or dish. Steve Ocrates should have known this. I should have right away. But do, do I get credit or I don't get credit? No, you half both failed. Steve Ocrates gets half a point for guessing red bean. Tu boca, pendejo. It was my second. Yes, it was second. It was a funny story. I like it. Used your uh, Spanish skills. All right, Stevocrates. Let's hear your creative okay. poetry. It's kind of like a poem. All right, here we go. Eaten raw or cooked around the map, you will hear them often go in a snap. Not common in football, yet they can be yard long. Grown in a protective pod, they can't go wrong. But why are they related to bad weather and snow? Camouflage next to grass. Just watch them grow. Huh. This is tricky. Hmm. Hmm. Is a snap pea a bean? Snap pea. Okay. Uh, what is Alvarado's guess? Edamame? It's kind of similar, no? Not the same thing. Or green bean. Uh, I think Alvarado might be closer. <laughs> I've heard of snow pea. Is snap snap pea actually is that? Can we accept snap pea? I thought that's why you say snap. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But then, oh, okay, but it's okay. a green well, bean. You each get half. You it's each, a... each get half. Snow pea, green bean. Yes, all acceptable. Yeah. Snow What's pea. What's the official term for it? Uh, Wikipedia says green bean. Snow <laughs> snow pea is an edible pod pea. With flat pods and thin pod walls, it is eaten whole with both the seeds and the pod while still unripe. I don't see anything about green bean. Where are you? Just where snow are you peas? Yeah, snow peas. They do snap. They could also be called snap pe uh, peas, I guess. So the, yours was green bean? Yes, green oh, bean. Green bean, oh, okay. A green bean, okay. Oh, green bean, all right. So we're all tied at half a point. Yeah. So this is the, I can't win, I guess. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> I'm out. You're out. Down to the wire. I don't have a riddle or a story, but so I'll, I'll name off facts one at a time. Whoever can guess it first 
I guess that breaks the tie. Okay. Michigan is the nation's largest producer of this bean. It's been around for over 7,000 years. It has a... Let me know if you want to guess at any point. It has a mushroom-like meaty flavor. It's popular in stews, soups, dips, and salads. It's native to South and Central America. It's common in South American, Mexican, Spanish, Caribbean dishes. Kidney bean. Eh, 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 eh. Oh, it's also known as the turtle bean. Any guess? It's the hummus. Yeah, uh, what do you call it? Oh, the... for a farabo bean or eh, the fava bean? chickpea. Chickpea. Eh, 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 eh. Oh, Is that chickpeas? No, oh. no. Pinto bean. Eh, 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 eh. Oh. No. <laughs> what kind black of be- beans? B- black <laughs> beans matter. Democracy's got, got it. Oh, is it black, black beans? beans? Yes. I didn't know that about black, black beans. beans. Bean I, did not, I did not know all that about You described beans. a bean that was completely foreign to me, but didn't sound very... I didn't know. Black beans are my friend, and I didn't realize all this about them. Oh. Black gotta, beans matter. You got to respect the black bean yeah. more. I was thinking chickpeas, like Alvarado. I didn't know black oh. beans. Wait, so what threw me off was this fl- uh, mushroom thing. I didn't know they the black the beans has flavor. a mushroom flavor. Yeah. I guess it's a mushroom-like meaty flavor. No. It tastes similar to a mushroom. Really? And I bet Alvarado has the big bucket of black beans in his refrigerator right now. I, I have a whole bunch of beans. <laughs> <laughs> So, Steocrates is the official bean champion. The bean champion. And I, I do have, I did, we did just finish some pinto beans. Pinto refried? I made or? in the, the pressure pressure cooker. Did you refry them? No, but I should do that. I, I heard that uh, Alvarado and Ninebot do that. Yeah. Right? Well, that was an Shit. interesting random game <laughs> relating to beans. <laughs> it's a good game. I doubt there's any other podcasts out there playing this type of game. <laughs> Maybe it's popular. Guess that scene. <laughs> uh, talking about the philosophy of human beings naturally Na- leads to talking about beans. beans the legume variety. That Rig- flatulence. Rigoberto spotted the rooster. <laughs> Me gusta mi frijoles y arroz con leche de coco. Okay. All right. So which, that was which bean causes the most farting? I'm gonna guess. Uh, ref- that's the refried pinto bean. Yeah, with, refried with bean. Lard. Rosalita bean. Rosalita brand. Isn't that the canned refried bean <laughs> yeah. at Costco? Is <laughs> bean dip mindlessly bowing down on Rosalita refried beans, and then after two hours, it's just farting up a storm. <laughs> Uh, we could, all right. Ricoberto. With that meaty substance of being, I'm all gassed up. You're all <laughs> gassed up. All right. Well, I hope you, listener, have derived some valuable philosophical lessons about the morality of being and non-being. This is ASP Stuff Radio. We are all stuffed up with... Bean dip. (laughs) 
Did you? Yeah. So you were dangled out the window. I was dangled out the window. You were probably dangled out near the balcony. How old were we? Too young to die. (laughs) (laughs) They're all gassed up.